Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Welcome to Book Dreams. You know, I'm thinking back now to the early days of the show when we used to say, Hello and welcome to Book Dreams. And we remember we have to do several takes. Yeah, of course. Hello. 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 <laughs> it, was, it was impossible. And so we got rid of the hello. And now today we're saying a bit of a goodbye. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. Because this is our last regularly scheduled episode of Book Dreams. And I want to emphasize for myself as much okay. as for anyone listening, okay. that it is not our last episode ever. We're going to continue to air what we're calling bonus episodes every month or so. And we're in the midst of planning a brand new podcast, which we will say more about later in the show. But after three years and 134 episodes of Book Dreams, Julie, did you ever think when we started that we would do 134? No. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I'm enormously proud. I just have to say that. Yeah. I really, really am. Yeah. But after three years and 134 episodes, we are ready for some new challenges. It's true, but I'm going to miss this, Eve. Oh, gosh, I am too. I mean, there, there's so much I have loved about this experience. And of course, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on the last three years and everything we've done. And I guess I have to say, one of the things I've loved most about doing book dreams is we get to ask all the questions. <laughs> like, you know, some of the people we've spoken to are longtime personal heroes. Some are brand new heroes we've just learned about. But they are all experts in their own creations and their own subject matter. And they're all deep, deep thinkers. And, you know, I get to ask these people <laughs> stuff, whatever I want. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I've loved. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh. I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> because my very, very favorite thing, hands down, about book dreams is being friends with you. Oh. <laughs> because, you know, we have been friends, as we've described here before for many, many years. But we were like, let's have breakfast three times a year and do some emailing in between kind of friends. We were not what we are now, which is a two hour phone call and multiple texts almost every <laughs> single day. Can I just say that the car ride, we were driving for about three hours yesterday and I was reading the paper while Paul drove and I kept texting you snapshots of things that I thought you would find interesting. And yes. I like, <laughs> and I know what you would find interesting now so much better oh because my God. of book dreams. Yes, yeah. of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you are all, it's, it's same. You are always in my head, literally, <laughs> right. because of my AirPods and figuratively. And, you know, usually to be friends like this, you have to go to high school together or right. like have babies at exactly the same time. I, I don't know about you. I don't make really close friends very often. No, and me neither. partly that's an age thing, I think. Partly it's being a writer and I pretty much never leave my house. So, you know, but whatever it is, I just want to say um, that you, Julie Sternberg, are my favorite part of Book Dreams. Oh, that is so sweet. And now I'm going to cry and mess up the whole recording. No, no, no. <laughs> Absolutely, hands down, the best part of doing this work has been doing it with you. 
Absolutely. And the only thing that's giving me solace there is that we're going to continue to work together. Yes. So exciting. Mm -hmm. But what's also nice and part of the reason we've been able to connect so well is the incredible range of topics that we have covered on Book Dreams. I mean, I love that we've been able to read deeply about such a crazy number of topics, you know, like Mm -hmm. pigeons, family secrets, Hindu epics, you know, Native Americans and comedy, heartbreak. I mean, everything. And then we get to talk about them together beforehand. We hear from listeners. We talk to family. We talk to friends. I mean, that is just, A, it's heaven to me. And also it has changed the way I read. Mm. I think it's been transformative. I used to just think about, oh, is this you know, am I in the mood for this book? And now I think much more, is this going to be an interesting book to talk about with folks? Yeah. I love that connective aspect. And I really credit Book Dreams with that. And also with, I mean, I think I got intimidated by books more easily before Book Dreams. I think a book like The Oracle of Dreams by Mm -hmm. Siddhartha Ribeiro you know, he's a neuroscientist and a dream researcher. And I think I would have thought, well, that looks fascinating, but it seems a little scary. Right, right. You know, because it's got a lot of science. And I loved reading that book. And I don't know that I would have accepted that challenge if it weren't for the fact that we got to talk to him here. And now I'm much more likely to pick up a book like that. So this has just been phenomenal on a personal level, you know, a friendship level, connecting with listeners and incredible authors. It's been such a marvelous, marvelous experience. It really has. And we've been so lucky too to work with Gianfranco Lentini, our producer, whom we adore. And <laughs> and he is so delightful and hardworking. He's got all sides of the brain, right? Like he totally keeps us in line and he adds a tremendous amount of artistry to book dreams. And he's a great guest host. He's guest hosted several great episodes like last week's interview with Jack Parlett. Thank you, Gianfranco. Oh God, a million thank yous. And a shout out to, to Gaston Barthelemy, our audio editor who's been with us almost from the very beginning and who works valiantly behind the scenes to make our sound quality the best that it can possibly be, notwithstanding the mistakes that we are constantly making. Constantly. I mean, <laughs> just in case anybody's wondering, we edit the podcast. Yes, we do. <laughs> or Gaston had edits the right. podcast. Right. Yeah. So thank goodness for him. And we are so happy that both he and Gianfranco will continue to work with us going forward. Yes. So, okay, now on to our last regularly scheduled interview. As we've said a number of times in the last three years, we started Book Dreams because books, more than just about anything, bring us joy. So we thought, what better way to end the podcast than to spread that joy and talk about how to make great book recommendations for other people. So our guest today is a professional book recommender. We are delighted to bring you James Gilbert, who's a bookseller at the Haywood Hill Bookstore in London. James has been a bookseller for eight years, and he makes personalized book recommendations for Haywood Hill customers, including, for the last several months, me and Julie. And he is really, really good at his job. Neither of us has been to Haywood Hill, unfortunately, but my friend Jan Shelburne introduced me to their subscription service, which they call the most personalized book subscription service in the world. Basically, they have a team of experts like James, and you fill these experts in on the kinds of books you'd like to receive through the subscription. You can do this online, you can go in person, or you can have a phone call. 
you know, you tell them, these are the books I've loved in the past, and these are the kinds of books I'm in the mood to read now. And based on that, they send you books in the mail. And in my experience, they send you books you just don't see in the United States. It has been such a treat receiving these books. It reminds me of when I was a little kid and my scholastic book club books would arrive, mm. except these are a complete surprise and they have been chosen just for me. Yeah, it's a dream. I love it when the Haywood packages arrive. And I hadn't heard of a single book they've sent me and I have loved the ones I've read so far. So we wanted to talk to James about how he chooses books generally and why he decided on the ones he sent to us specifically. So we invited him on the show. And of course, we are so happy he said yes. We started by asking him what makes someone good at the job he does. Here's what he said. The really key thing about being not a good bookseller, but a bookseller who really gets the most out of their job and therefore I think can offer the most to other people is just being endlessly curious and endlessly excited about writing um some people just really love books and can translate that passion and that sort of romance with writing into just sharing that with other people you seem to be very good at making book recommendations how did that happen how did you learn to be good at it thank you that's very kind um, <laughs> uh, it requires confidence in your own judgment and your own opinion I mean, UK bookselling really sort of nourishes that atmosphere of talking and talking about books, being vocal and being proactive about speaking to people who come into your shop who may not actually be looking for recommendation. They may have an idea of what they want. It's certainly not our place to sort of say, no, you have no idea what you're looking for. I don't know what you want. Read this instead. But there is always encouragement uh, with good reason to sort of perhaps steer customers or readers towards something else or something more. And the, the great thing about, from my experience of working with customers, is that people do love being recommended books. They love coming to a bookshop. If it's somewhere they trust, they love nothing more in terms of deciding what to read next by coming into the shop and saying, I've, I've read XYZ recently. Is there anything new or is there something that I might not have heard of? Um, and that conversation can be quite difficult if you don't feel equipped to talk about what it is they're asking about, which obviously does come with experience. But you, you do need to stay on it. You need to stay curious and want to be learning about whatever the new books are and to read backwards as well. Nobody's read everything. Nobody knows everything. And if you think that, then you're probably not as good a bookseller as you think you are. We talked to James next about the books that he chose for the two of us. Because of some writing that I'm doing, I told the Haywood Hill folks that I was interested in receiving multi-generational family sagas that weren't too long and that had interesting structures. My preference was realistic fiction for these books, but I was open to all genres. I mentioned that I loved Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. I love Mary Lawson, who's a Canadian writer, also Jane Gardam and Elizabeth Strout. How about you, Eve? What were you looking for? Well, to be honest, I didn't give them much direction, and yet they still nailed my taste. I said I read fiction and nonfiction across a wide variety of genres, but that I tend to give up on that kind of very dense non-narrative fiction. I told them I'd loved Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, but not so much All the Light We Cannot See, Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner, and Lost and Found by Katherine Schultz. And I love Dorothy Dunnett and Helen Oyoyemi. I also said I love books with great world building and well-developed characters, and I'm deeply interested in the answer to the question, what makes us human? So that's the gist of the information James had from us before he chose our books. We asked him how he would describe us as readers based on that. And here's what he said. 
to be honest, and I, I obviously don't say this to everyone, um, but I read them both and thought, oh, these are good. These will be fun. You both um, seem, well, like a bit like myself, you both seem to to read um, widely across genres and just have a general sort of, a general curiosity, but a, a general sort of interest and enjoyment of just really well-written stories as well. One of the books that um, you mentioned, Julie, was um, Pachinko. Now, it's, it's not the most like overly literary novel I've ever read, but it's a bloody excellent story. Pretty really gut-wrenching as well, to be honest, from what I remember. So that's a long-winded way of, of me cheating and saying that you two are very easy, easy customers. Um, <laughs> so... Um, the four books that you've chosen for me so far are Bad Relations by Cressida Connolly, Stillborn by Guadalupe Neto, All Our Yesterdays by Natalia Ginsberg, and Ancestry by Simon Marr. So what was it that I said that made you choose these books for me? So going back to the, the element of great storytelling, two of these books I haven't actually read. So that's uh, Bad Relations um, and it, this is from sort of reviews and it's also from bookseller recommendation who massively recommended it as this sort of sprawling, very intelligently written, quite sort of heart-wrenching, but very clever family saga across quite a few decades, if I recall. And that kind of chimed quite closely with, I think, the likes of Pachinko and the Joy Luck Club, um, Richard Powers, certainly, and Sebastian Folks as well. Um, the other one I haven't read is the Simon Moore Ancestry. I've read other books by him, which are, from what I've read, very well written. He sort of writes with a similar structure, I suppose, to those other writers that you'd mentioned. But um, Stillborn and All I Yesterdays, personally, uh, this again goes back to the fact that I've cheated a little bit and you two... Um, I, I believe, have relatively similar taste, reading tastes to me, which is a massive bonus and makes my job enormously easier. So thanks very much. <laughs> no problem. Stillborn and, <laughs> Stillborn and uh, All Our Yesterdays are two of the best books I've read this year. Um, and All Our Yesterdays, I think that's the first publication of All Our Yesterdays in English. Ginsburg is like this real sort of fearsome feminist writer from sort of early to mid um, 20th century, particularly around the rise of fascism in Italy. She writes a lot about small-time resistance, if you will, within the families, within the village communities of Italy in the 1930s and 1940s. Um, it's just this wonderful and quite funny story of uh, the changing face of a family in that time. Um, have you read that yet? Not to put you on the spot. I've read three of the books that you've sent. I haven't yet read Ancestry because it arrived more recently. But yes, All Our Yesterdays blew me away. It's incredible and so perfect for what I asked for. And Stillborn felt a little bit different in terms of subject matter and maybe scope, but I loved it as well. And then Bad Relations is so fun. And I actually went and read... My Former Heart, which is another book that she wrote. Sure. And actually does cover um, three generations. I think it was her first novel, maybe because it's her first one. It's, it's a little less polished. But um, you just hit my taste spot on. You did a fantastic job. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah. And I'm struck because although you've described Julie and me as fairly similar readers and that we read across genres and we, you know, are the kinds of stories we mentioned, you recommended very different books for us. And I think you really nailed it with 
both of us. So the four books that you've chosen for me so far are Dreaming the Karoo by Julia Blackburn, The Glass Pearls by Emmerich Pressburger, The Passengers by Will Ashen, and Dreamland by Rosa Rankin-Gee. So what was it that I said that made you choose those books for me? Because I think they're very different from the books that you chose for Julie. I think it was the slightly more... Um, elaborate answer to the question, which is, um, is there any genre or author that you really don't like? In response to that, you basically suggested that you said here you'll read just about anything. Literary fiction, personal essays, memoir thrillers, mysteries, and cookbooks, um, which is fantastic to hear, not to imply, Julia, that you're more closed-minded than your, <laughs> your colleague. Um, okay. <laughs> I am. I am. Sorry. Fine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think it was a mention of... Um, Helen Oyeyemi as well, as the likes mm-hmm. of Wallace Stegner. That that suggested to me, while you did suggest that you tend to give up on dense non-narrative fiction, a slightly more experimental slant, I suppose, to your reading. And particularly the fact that you're interested in, in uh, memoirs and essays as well. That's what caused me in particular to pick out those first two books for you. Again, um, only one of which I've read of those first two, which is Will Ashen's Passengers, which I thought was fantastic. The Julia Blackburn I've got on my shelf behind me. You have that to look forward to, the Julia. And that's exactly why I haven't read it yet. Because, uh, (laughs) yeah, I I read the one she did before this called Time Song, which is about the ancient space of uh, Doggerland in between the UK and the coast of Netherlands um, and Belgium. From what I can discern, it's a really similar sort of style to Dreaming the Karoo, which is kind of impossible to pigeonhole, really. It's part memoir, it's part poetry, it's part cultural history, ancient history. But it reads like really beautiful fiction. I mean, she is a poet as well. Um, I think she's written novels as well. She's much more famous for her nonfiction. So, so the, yeah, Dreaming the Karoo is, is a book that I've actually sent to quite a few customers without having read, but having full confidence, knowing what she is like as a writer, that if they have that sort of, if they enjoy that sort of style, then they will love this sort of book. And the same thing goes for Will Ashen as well. It's quite an esoteric sort of book, I suppose. It's fascinating. You'll do a much better job describing it than I will. But basically, he spent, I think it was (laughs) years, right, going around and asking random people to tell him about a memory of theirs. And he presents them with no context whatsoever. And it's just like these little snapshots. It's like looking at a book of photo essays in a way, except it's words. Yeah, it starts off with, with very short sort of vignettes, almost aphorisms from from people, single line answers to the question, and then builds and builds into sort of more essay. And then it starts to whittle down again towards the end in terms of size. But it's a very satisfying way to read. It, you know, the, the idea is that it's like a, a pastiche of, of opinion and voices of a place. Um, and I think it really does give a, a really fascinating and quite accurate insight to the rather maniacal place that the UK seems to be in the yeah. 21st century, <laughs> particularly in the last sort of five years. Um, but you've, you've enjoyed those so far as well. I have. And I'm in the middle of The Glass Pearls, which I'm also loving. It's like a, a mashup between The Reader and Elegance of the Hedgehog. I don't, Ooh, I don't know if you would agree with that. <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> things that keep coming up for me. And I haven't yet read Dreamland. Okay. Yeah. Dreamland is one I haven't read myself yet either. But again, that sounds like a dilapidated coastline dystopia. It's been dubbed as sort of a mystery novel, a thriller, slightly science fiction, but also with like a real sort of vein of humor going through it as well. Like it's, it's supposed to have quite a, um, a strong 
classically British sense of irony and self-deprecation, from what I understand. But again, uh, quite a few of my colleagues had read that and said it was fantastic. It's a book which I remember it was reviewed well when it came out in hardback. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's been pressed into the hands of lots and lots of readers who um, have spoken very highly of it. Um, so I hope you enjoy that as well when you get around to it. The Glass Pearls, I, I found, was such an exciting reissue. Again, a bit like the Natalia Ginsberg, it's one which is translated for the first time. And Emmerich Pressburger, the very famous filmmaker who adapted um, the film I'm now going to forget the name of. The Red Shoes was one of his films. Yeah, um, I didn't realise that he'd written anything at all. And I guess that's kind of the idea is that this is a, a novel which um, took a lot of people by surprise. It tackles quite sort of bleak themes but with quite a deft hand. And from what I gather is, is quite a fun thriller at the same time. Do you have any favorite stories about a time when you recommended a book to someone? There's one in particular which always sticks in my mind because I was still very young and sort of wet behind the ears bookseller at um, Hatchard's. I think it's the oldest active bookshop in the UK. It's been going for 220-odd years now. It also has royal warrants as well, so it was a bookshop used by the royal family for, well, for over 200 years. There are lots of local customers, but there are also loads of tourists as well who know to go there for solid recommendations for books, be that something that the shop is championing or, indeed, if they could just go up to a random bookseller, such as uh, 22-year-old me. But um, A Little Life had just come out at that time. Mm-hmm. It's a masterful piece of work. It's an incredible book. Um, I can appreciate why some people have sort of criticisms of overdoing the drama and the violence and the trauma of the, of the story, but it's, it is a dramatic and violent story and it's so brilliantly written. And it was a book which, when it came out, quite a few of us as booksellers read it and were just like, bloody hell, this is unbelievable. Um, and there was this chapter from Brazil and he said he came over like every... It might even have been as infrequently as once a year... At best, it was six months, uh, maybe as infrequently as once a year. But he, he wanted a book recommendation. I think he said he'd read A Fine Balance by Rahinton Mystery, which is another sort of slightly hard-going epic about the hardships of people far less fortunate than myself. But similarly spectacular in terms of scope and in terms of the writing and how much you sort of not necessarily relate, but really do feel for the characters in it. And I, I had a chat with him for a couple of minutes about A Little Life and why I thought it was so special and so worth his time reading, really, and worth his, what at the time was £17 to buy. He didn't take much convincing. You know, he took, took my word for it. As far as I knew, that was the last time I'd ever see him. You meet hundreds of people a day um, in a bookshop uh, in central London. It's, you know, bustling, it's busy. It's important to remember faces and remember the people who do come in and support your bookshop a lot. And more often than not, one can make like a really lovely rapport with those people, whether you agree on reading tastes or not. But so many come and go so swiftly um, that it's very easy to sort of forget about those conversations and forget about those faces. But um, I went away to a couple of other bookshops over the course of the next however long, whether it was six months or a year. And I came back to work in Hatchards for a few more weeks the following summer. And this chap came back. And I remember it was one of those very sort of serendipitous moments where I was about half an hour late for going for my lunch, getting crabby about the fact that I was half an hour late going for my lunch and I shouldn't have been there at that time of day. And this chap, this Brazilian chap came, came in and sort of almost theatrically pointed to me and said, oh, it's you again. That book was incredible. Can you recommend me something else? (laughs) Oh, that must have been really satisfying. (laughs) It was wonderful. And I thought about it lots since because, you know, 
for him, I, I was the person he spoke to in the shop who, who very confidently recommended him a book. And he took that as a very personal recommendation. And he thought, well, that person knows what they're talking about. So I'm going to make sure I not only go back to that shop, but ideally I'm going to find him again as well. And that, that was, uh, it was very touching. It was just very exciting as well. I thought, bloody hell, that's, that's mad. He's come from the other side of the planet to tell me that he was chuffed with it. Um, that's the best one. They're not always, always that great. Sometimes yeah. people come back in and they almost <laughs> throw the book at you because you've really got it wrong. But um, thankfully, that's quite infrequent. Do you have just one piece of advice for folks who want to recommend books to others? Sure. I think being conscious that reading taste is such a personal um, thing to everybody. One of the things, I suppose, as a bit of an aside, is to not take it too personally if somebody says no. The book, the book that you really love and the book that you've spent the last two weeks, you know, falling in love with and now want to tell everybody how great it is. Uh, I actually don't think that sounds good at all. That's a conversation which is going to happen at some point in your life if you're a bookseller. And that's uh, a little bit tough to take. But it's, it is a very personal thing. I think it's important to be considerate of not just people's tastes, but where they are in their life, what their life allows them to, to read, not just in terms of time, but in terms of content. You have to tread quite carefully sometimes with what a book contains, not just in terms of trauma or violence, abuse and horrific things like that, which many great books do contain. But sometimes even the, the types of relationships in certain books, particularly in fiction, strike a chord for better or for worse. I think being a good listener is heavily linked to being what I would consider a good bookseller, simply because you have to make sure you're reading the person in front of you well enough to to ensure that you're you're listening to them carefully and that you're hearing what they're saying in terms of what they like, which makes it sound very serious. It's not that serious. It's very, you know, it's a very, very fun job to have. I love that someone traveled half the planet to tell James how much they loved a book he'd recommended and that he has so much fun suggesting books to people. As we said earlier, it's been one of the primary joys of book dreams, connecting with people over books. We hope you'll all stay subscribed and we can continue to do that, though less frequently. Yes, and stay tuned for our next podcast, which we've already started working on. The title, at least for now, is Rebel Nuns. We wanted to focus on stories about groups of people coming together to take collective action with a positive outcome. And it turns out there are many fascinating stories from ancient Mesopotamia all the way up to today of nuns banding together to fight the powers that be in the service of causes they believe in. These stories are all too often hidden and they reflect larger forces in society and we cannot wait to tell you all about them. We'll post updates about rebel nuns here in the Book Dreams feed. In the meantime, thank you so very much for listening to Book Dreams, whether you've been with us from the very beginning or whether you're tuning in today for the first time. We've loved learning and sharing and bonding over all things book-related with you, and we're excited to keep connecting over bonus episodes and all that is to come. As always, you can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find out more about the Haywood Hill subscription service at www.haywoodhill.com. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until our first bonus episode, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie and